A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Shogun Podcast. We are the Lorehounds, your guides to the political intrigues of feudal Japan. I'm David. And I'm John Blackthorne. <laughs> and this is our coverage of episodes one and two well played. of the FX limited series Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. <laughs> For these first two episodes, we're not going to do a scene by scene breakdown since we've got two episodes to cover and you guys don't want to be here for four hours. Uh, so instead, we're going to go with a spoiler free hot takes and then we're going to do a little break and then we'll come back and then we'll get into a wider ranging discussion that includes some history and lore, production notes, discussions of main characters, plot and story elements, and then we'll wrap up with our favorite scenes from the two episodes. We have set up an email, so if you have questions or feedback, send those to shogun at thelorehounds.com or head to the contact page on our website, thelorehounds.com, and use the form or record us a voicemail that we can drop right into the podcast. I know we've got a couple tonight, so we've I'm got two. That. We have two. Also join us on our Discord. We've got a fun and active community and a great mod team and special channels that we've set up just for Shogun. If you're interested in supporting the Lorehounds community, check us out on Patreon or subscribe using our new Supercast platform. Supercast is just like Patreon, but built for podcasters. But uh, subscribers on either platform will get a community-built online character guide. Uh, do we have a name for it yet, David? No, I think we're just still calling it the season guide. Any of the really what creative... What about the rudder? Oh, the rudder. That, that could it's be interesting. The, it's the rudder. I just, oh, yeah, yeah, that could be, that could be. I think we have three names now. I can't remember the other two. And I was just worried because it's like, it sounded too, like it doesn't explain it. Like if you land on it, you know what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So, um, right, right. yeah, but a rudder's good. That's good. Cause we're going to talk about rudders in a little right, bit. Right, right. So, but a special shout out to Aaron and Brian who, Aaron K and Brian 8063, who've really, jumped in on this and have been scraping up information and putting it in. The use case for this thing is basically if you're watching the show and you've got your phone, you can be on the character guide and scrolling through and you can see the faces and the names of the characters and just a quick three, two or three words about who they are. And then that way, just to help you um, remember, because this is like a cast of thousands kind of thing. And then we're going a little bit deeper with that. But uh, great job, Aaron and, and Brian. And we've set up another little uh, special thread. 
in the Patreon section of the Discord, where if you have material that you want to send us or things that you want to add, we can uh, take that in now and and have it really community driven. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. It is very cool. And uh, we were talking today. We're like, ooh, rings of power. This could be a very interesting tool as well for that. I know. And you I were know. thinking that before, I think. Yeah, um, I, I mentioned that. I haven't started yet. I've no. just had too many things going on and well, we don't even have Aaron, a date yet. Aaron Cade put up a cool uh, Venn diagram overlapping thing, but uh, the difference between a Shogun and a Taiko. And I was okay. like, oh, this is just like uh, John's uh, flowchart for the chart. elves. Yeah. But we never we never really had a good place to put that last year. I know. And now I we, know. It was on a do. weird Google Drive link. Yes, exactly. I mean, who's going to look <laughs> at it? Anyway, we've got uh, more information about supporting our community as well as uh, notes about our upcoming schedule. We'll have all of that at the end of the podcast. Cool. Hot take time. Yes. Get your hot takes. Hot takes here. Spoiler free. So if you haven't are, seen. Oh, we are. Oh, shoot. Yeah, we should. I was just not because prepared for this. Just for the first two episodes. And Fair then enough. next week we'll go into to spoiler free because you know everybody's still catching up. And like, should I watch the show? Is this something that yeah. I'm interested in? Yeah. I think the short answer is yes. There was somebody on our Discord who even said, I came here to find out if I should watch the show. I got my answer. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was a perfect yep. encapsulation of the conversation that's going on with the show. I've not heard a bad word about it yet. I just want to say about this show before I even go into my impressions. Uh-huh. Pukila plus a lot. <laughs> Marilyn, if you're listening. I don't think so. I disagree. Then don't watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> even if, if there's disagreement, have, don't watch the show. That's telling enough. Yeah. Similar. If you have similar tastes to Marilyn in terms of violence, I would not recommend this show. It is not for the faint of heart, the first episode. You had told me, David, that the second episode is much less violent. I agree with that. Uh, they, the first one I felt was a bit gratuitous, and we can get into it when we get into details. But yeah. um, the second episode, I thought, had a very tasteful balance. Mm -hmm. So I am hoping that that continues through the show. Overall, though, I'm really loving the show. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really into it. I, I got to tell you, so on our on our season preview, I told you I got the book. I yes. haven't cracked it open yet. I'm not sure I'm really going to go into it because of time. How far and have I, you gotten? I had to take a. <laughs> Are you happy? Well, I, I, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. uh, not not even close. But I had to take a, a three hour train ride and I read it like the whole way because I was just like, I, I can't I can't get away from this. It's really, Amazing. really good. And so I was so looking forward to this premiere. And honestly, it delivered. I thought that the changes were all really smart. They all uh -huh. just like condensed things and eliminated things that were unnecessary to the core of the story. Just like, you know, a character will not be in the story any longer sooner because it doesn't matter the little short bits that they had with our protagonist mm -hmm. later. Um, things like that. I thought that they really captured a lot of the details in the show. And, you know, there's something where like in a book, you can have an aside where you're like, a koku is blank. Whereas right, it's really right. hard to do that in a TV show. I thought the TV show did an excellent job doing a show, not tell exposition. Okay. I thought that mostly we were being shown how the society worked. Mm -hmm. There were a few times where it was explained, but when it was explained, it made sense, right? <laughs> right? It was, this is a character who's brand new to this world. And this character is being explained to by someone else who has been initiated into this world, but is from the character's world. And it's relevant for that exchange to happen right naturally right. it's it's a naturally it would be a naturally occurring thing in the moment 
Right. And that's hard to do right. And Very I think they did do. a really, really good job of that. Right. Um, it feels really authentic. Even, you know, the hairstyles, the costuming, amazing. The scenery is amazing. I'm really glad they filmed primarily in Japan because mm-hmm. you can tell it really feels real. Uh, and it feels lived in, right? Like these villages feel like they are, and these cities, Osaka, feels like it's it's a place where people live. And it mm-hmm. feels like it's a place that functions without the main character walking into it, which is very cool. Uh, I'm, I think it's very, very... Game of Thronesy in terms of the politics. It's mm-hmm. very like they did a great job of, you know, we talk about the character motivations have to be the lead, not the plot motivations. And here I feel like every character has motivations that I understand. Right. And I really like that. I really like how these different things are interacting. Even characters who I don't know where they're going to go next. I'm like, I can see all the different factors going into the characters that make them unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting to me. Right. That's really making me want to press forward to the next episode. And I can't wait for episode three. My one criticism is I hate John Blackthorne's Jon Snow <laughs> shtick. John you read, you're, reading, you're reading it like uh, John, uh, John Snow. That's interesting. I'm John Snow. I'm John Blackthorne. <laughs> oh, I hate, I hate the Portuguese. That's that's his whole shtick. Right, right. Interesting. Okay, I got it. I hate I the it. shtick. But on it, but honestly, everyone else makes up for it. Yes. I just wish I didn't hate the main character's shtick. And that's it's funny because I like the main character. Like I like his, what he says. I like his, how he carries himself. I hate the voice. Okay, fair enough. I hate it. It <laughs> makes me cringe. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right. Well, and, so, and you're working on your imitation, so you can uh, you can make fun of it by mocking phone. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, I can make fun of a British accent. I'm not doing any other accents. Don't right, even. Right, we're yeah. not going near that. Um, but anyway, what do you think of the show? Well, I was gonna. I just wanted to to quickly uh, expand on the this thought of of Mart this comparison between Martin and Clavel here. And we got to remember, Clavel did this first. So Martin is standing on Clavel's shoulders. And I don't know if Martin has read Clavel or not. Mm-hmm. That being this huge, historical, deep, re- deeply researched novel, you know, uh, inside of that tradition, one of the reasons why Martin is successful is because he looked to history, to our yep. human history yep. in the primary world. And he looked at at motivations and power struggles and all of these kinds of things. And he was able to bring that into a fantasy story where Clavel is doing historical fiction. He's doing a similar thing where he's doing deep research and deep character study and then wrapping it in this uh, really good story. And so it works, right? It's a model that works. And when it's done well, it is exquisite and it sings because presents itself as real to us. We can understand these characters' motivations because we can see real human motivations in them, right? It's it's not a, a goofy made-up thing. So And it, it's so easy to have the human conflict, the human heart in conflict with itself <laughs> when you have three hearts. It's crazy. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. It's we're going it's like from a, a cube, we're going from a, a squared to a cubed. I, I felt like you jumped here. behind me at that point and went, the human heart in conflict with itself. I'm like, oh, I it was a jump it. scare. We need to update that uh, graphic that I, who is it, Davey <laughs> Mack put in the Discord about the, yeah. the button pushing. Yeah, yeah. So we need a third button on there. So hats off to FX because they have gone 
all in. They have pushed all their chips into the middle of the table here. The marketing is everywhere. The online resources are great. The website looks great. Their character guides and supporting material is awesome. They flooded YouTube with a lot of cool resources to prep and educate and hype us up. The production values on this are over the top. And we're going to talk about a, one of the language things and how the scripts are developed later on. I was listening to the official podcast and a shout out to the official podcast. There are about half an hour episodes, but they're really well produced and packed with really good information. It's almost like a Lorehounds podcast, actually, except ours <laughs> are three hours long instead of 30 minutes. Um, the fact that they even hired a movement master to coach people how to move properly in the traditional costumes and in a, in a courtly setting. Oh, that's, that's, a, cool. that's a crazy amount of budget that they're throwing at this thing. Um, the casting I think is spot on. I really had my doubts about Jarvis, uh, and he's John pulling it off. John Blackthorn. Uh, it's, I, I was really nervous that he wasn't going to be able to do it. And I think he's doing it. I think he's doing a really good job. And he, he has to, for, for viewers like me, he has to get over the Richard Chamberlain hump of the 1980s version. And he's, that's just going to be there in comparison. And he's doing something, he's doing his own thing and it's great and it's working for me. I thought, and we were uh, chit-chatting about this earlier about the vow or the, how episode in one and two are in comparison. And for me, episode one did a really great job of setting up the world for me that it, we're in Japan, there's Jesuits, Dutch, English, you know, shogunates, you know, all of these kinds of things. And then episode two really worked for me in terms of setting up the stakes. Here's the power dynamic. Here's the motivations of the, the primary actors. And then here's the trap and the ticking time bomb that's going to you know set uh, things off and, and set all our characters into motion. But then I think you said you had the opposite reaction, that, that two well, did the world and yeah. one did the, the stakes. Well, I think that one kind of throws you in intentionally and disorients you intentionally just like <laughs> being on a ship yeah, <laughs> and crashing yeah, into yeah. uh yeah hold on in, we're still in, in spoiler free territory so yeah we, we are well but, we've seen that i know uh, it's the first yeah. it's the first yeah. scene but um but i think two lets you see the world in action and seeing the world in action to me is always a much more effective world building technique got it got it and just watching these factions kind of duke it out in political intrigue and just dialogue and just undercover moves towards each other. I'm like, okay, this is, I get what's going on now. I, I, I feel like I'm with it now. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm really so glad I'm, I'm, they, they did a double drop at first. I was like, exactly. This is too much. It's two episodes. It's two hours. Uh, but now I'm like, Oh no, I think it's good. I yeah. think it's good that they did a double drop. I watched, I did my second watch last night and my wife joined me and she really liked it. And she was starting to ask me a bunch of questions in episode two. And I said, wait, watch the episode. And by the end of episode two, you will have all of your questions answered. All of the little things that they've set up, they resolve them. So you understand mm. when they reference this other city or when they, when they talk about this thing or that thing. 
it's explained right. ultimately right. in the in the episode. And so I thought that's a really good job. They've done a really good job. I also like the sprinkling of humor that they have in in throughout. Yeah. There's there's yeah. a lot of little things. There's one scene which is not really a spoiler, but the main character Blackthorn is trying to you know go to sleep on a, a Japanese style bed, and he's like moving the pillow around. <laughs> and he's trying to get comfortable. Yeah, really great yeah. little very human moment, but very funny, and it provides a little bit of levity in what sometimes can be a very heavy or serious. Yeah. I uh, mean, there's, there's stuff like that in the book too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm about 150 pages in right now. Uh-huh. And, um, which by the way, the show's already past where I am. Like it's right. moving really <laughs> fast, really nice. fast. But, um, so I, I don't know any spoilers beyond this. So if I speculate, it's genuine speculation, but anyway, sure. there's a line in the book where they're like, there's no chairs here, not a chair on the continent. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Right. And, Kills me. And, yeah. So I was thinking that this was sort of a, maybe a plus one or plus two on the Pukila scale because the violence is no. not all over the place. And, the, and there's <laughs> we'll talk about it because right, later. But, but the violence is so severe at mm-hmm. certain points that I think it has to be higher than that. Gosh. It has I would, to be higher than that. I because think we you have put that one code. scene in front of Marilyn, she'll never watch the show again. But we can. Uh, yeah. And then they just go. It, then it's gone and it's done. And it and it's. We're, we're going to promise have to wait. me, we're though, gonna... that in the next eight episodes, we're not returning to that. No, no, we're <laughs> uh, we're going to I think we're going to have the fight kind of violence. Like we had a couple of fight scenes in episode two that were very just like, oh, this is like watching standard American television these days. Right. It wasn't that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I think that. Well, we've got a whole section to talk about. Probably do what mm-hmm. this show will probably do. I'm expecting is go into the very realistic brutality of the samurai fighting style, right? Because a lot of people think like, oh, samurai honor, clean kill. There's no, you know, there's no pain involved. And like, I don't know, some of these guys have intentions that do not compute with suffering or not suffering. We've got a whole section to talk about depiction of violence later on. So let's let's definitely keep keep that uh, for that conversation as well. So anyway... Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I would love, maybe we should time code the episode so that Marilyn can watch it and then she can tell us <laughs> where it lands on her scale. Uh, I'm going to go it. out. Don't the, watch this, Marilyn. If you're here still, don't watch it. <laughs> I think she, she would enjoy the historicity of it. She would. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this passes the shippy test. With just on two episodes, this thing passes the shippy test relative to Shogun the book to the, the television show. I've been watching the miniseries, the 1980 miniseries. It's hitting the right beats, but it's doing all the changes that it needs to to recenter the story. And I think the miniseries or this series, the FX series, is bringing in more book direct adaptation stuff. Um, it's and pretty vibe- close so far. What I've exactly. Seen. I mean, and, again, I've not read much of the book, but like from what yeah, I've seen, yeah. it seems like pretty close. I, I feel like it's going to pass the shippy test at the end of this. And I think on the Sanderson slider, I think it's perfectly balanced between inspiration and adaptation so far. I feel like we have a really good balance where they're in they're especially the first part of episode two, where the, I think there's stuff that's not in the book or the miniseries. Um, but anyway, we can we can talk yeah. about it later. Uh, I, I'm a little pained because that this is a limited series. Uh, but aren't and, you glad at the same time? Like they're no. not going to drag this out. I, I would. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad that this story has a, a discrete trajectory. But then I'm like, man, this world is beautiful. These characters are amazing. You know, this this whole setup is amazing. And then Adrian on, pointed out on the Discord is like, well, aren't there more books? And it's like, oh, yeah, there's six books here. 
So I don't know if FX is going to go down that road and go for a, you know, grand epic Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon style. But how thing? does the how does the series work? Is it anthology? Or is it connecting? Does it follow? It jumps sort of in different... time. Yeah, it that's jumps what I'm in saying. time. And there's a there's a central line that runs through it that's centered on some key instances, but then I think each book moves forward yeah. in, in a different time. But then you reestablish relationships and characters, but the 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 momentum that you picked up from the previous book carries you through into the second book. So it's not chop, you know, change the 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 lens, but you're being propelled forward through this cohesive story. Right. So Anyway. Yeah, I just think that like it's probably going to be different enough where they have to do new sets, new photography, all that for every series. Right, because they move like, in uh, time. Yeah, yeah. And so, the production so it's probably like we're not committing to anything beyond this right now. And this has been in production since pre-pandemic. That's crazy. Right? You know that they. But I buy working, that. You know. Yeah, yeah. This they've really crafted this thing. So whatever happens, the rest of the next this next year. Whoever's going to try and come and challenge Shogun right now is going to have a hard time knocking this out of my number one spot right now because you, this you, is, you're calling the judgment too fast, man. You got to uh, You got to cool it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, if you want to come, you want to come Mr. for the Shogun. Lisa Lopez is Noah Hawley over here. Do not just, miss. Uh, oh, all right, <laughs> hey, all right. she's gonna. I I think she's gonna go. I, I have mm, hopes that she's gonna. No, go no, no. Let's replay the tape. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, hold me to it. I've got internet points out on this. Right. <laughs> is this this will be in my top. Five. We got to see what else is coming this year. But man, this is this is good stuff. All right. Good so start if you haven't year. seen it, go see it. I got a email from a from Ron. Actually, Ron was like, "Dude, you were right. This show is fire." <laughs> and I was oh, like, good. Very cool. That's cool. Yeah. All, All right. right. Quick break before we get into uh, spoilers. I think so. All Let's right. We'll be right back, folks. And we're back. We're going to talk about some history here before we get into the full series. But from this point out, we are talking full spoilers. So if you haven't watched the show or you don't want to be spoiled, then head out, come back. For the rest of you still with us, gather around for (laughs) we are going on the Erasmus Blackthorn ship. Would you like to tell us more about it, David? Yes, I would, in fact. And I would like to also open the invitation. This show has a lot of richness to it. And so if there's things that we're missing or got a little bit wrong, or we may even call out some specific things, that would be great. We want to hear your feedback. So send in an email. Uh, If you want to post something on the Discord, tag us specifically. Hey, this is, you know, for consideration. DM us. Uh, Send in a voicemail. We got two great voicemails today uh, along these lines. So there's a lot of cool, rich information on the season guide, we're starting to put in some Wikipedia articles and some diagrams and some other things. So send in your notes and we can include them there. Um, and of course, then we have the, the character guide, which is on the same page, but as a separate side of sort of resource. That said, there's so much that we could talk about in terms of the history of things. And so we're just going to touch on a few things. I got kind of taken with the whole ship that Blackthorn was on, which is mm-hmm. called the Erasmus. 
And uh, Erasmus was a Dutchman who was a, it was a Catholic Dutchman, uh, Erasmus of Rotterdam, who died in 1536. He was Catholic, but he was a humanist, and he stayed being a Catholic because he wanted to try to reform the church from the inside. And I, I believe that a lot of his work, and he was a very prolific writer and, and translator, that he was one of the thought leaders of the Reformation. I hmm. could be a little bit wrong on that, but I believe that's that's accurate. And the Reformation is in reaction to the way that the Catholic Church was dominating religious space, right? And so that's right. what we have here as a, as a main tension with Blackthorne is his antipathy towards the you know <laughs> society of Jesus. Um, and uh, so it's, I thought it was really interesting that the ship is named the Erasmus because this is uh, set in 1600 and, and Erasmus died in 1536. And so all during this time and all this stuff, this, you know, uh, he, this person plays a kind of a background role. Uh, and I, I thought that was cool. Hmm. There is a, do you know much about Reformation history and process? I knew at some point a bunch of stuff about the Reformation and mm -hmm. it has left my brain. So okay. feel free to tell me whatever you want to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> right in. The ship's rudder, which is not to be confused with rudder. So this is R-U-T-T-E-R as opposed to a rudder, which is an R-U-D-D-E-R, which is the thing that sh helps you steer the ship. That's the thing that uh, Blackthorn is holding on to when they're in the storm. Wait, wait, we're spoiler free here. We can talk spoilers now. Yeah, in the storm. So a ship's rudder was basically just a book that a pilot or a navigator would use to write down all their sailing directions and notations. And this was before charts were developed, before we actually had good maps, good working maps. So this is kind of a ship's log, but it's also the uh, you know the the iPad of the of the pilot who has to keep you know, tons and tons of geographically related data. They wrote it all down in these books called a rudder. And that word is derived from, uh, I believe, a French word and a Spanish word that were similar. And then that that's where the English word came from. So it has nothing to do with the thing that steers the ship. You know, it's funny. I, I knew by the time I went into the show, but when I was first reading the book, the first couple of times it came up, I was like, why are they so concerned that they're going to find the <laughs> rudder. It's, yes, why, exactly. why is that such a problem? <laughs> yeah. The other, just a, another small interesting thing that I caught on uh, the opening of the episodes was the ship's lead, the lead line, the thing that he was throwing into the water, which, you know, maybe folks don't know about the way that you would do uh, to check the depth because you don't want to run aground on a deep hold ship like that. You tie a lead weight to a piece of string and which is called a plummet. And it was usually made of lead and it had a little hollow scoop out on the bottom and they would put tallow in there. So when this thing hit the ground, you know, in the, in the water, it uh, like sand and shells and rocks and other kind of stuff like that would stick to it. And then they would tie little flags at the fathom marks and then they had a whole system of calling out, you know, by the deep five, you know, uh, the mark six, whatever. I, you know, I, I can't do it all, but they would call out to to the back of the ship, so to letting you know. So when Blackthorn throws that thing over the water, over the ship, he's checking mm. the soundings and realizing that we're when you see that white sand, it means we're near near land. So right. 
just a cool couple of nautical things that I thought were, were kind of fun to, to pick up on. Not consequential in any way, but just sort of fun history. So you, you got to stay nautical with it. Yes. If nautical nonsense be something you wish, <laughs> then flop on the deck and flop like a fish. Oh, bravo. Oh, are you going to compose little haikus for us as we uh, go no, through No, that the was season? the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. Oh, are you serious? Oh, I had yeah. no idea. I'm not a SpongeBob person. So. I thought no, you just I made just that up on the spot. Poet. I was impressed. I think you were I... like Omi with, uh, with the death poem here. <laughs> that was in the book too, actually. I, okay. It's funny because I, I watched that part of the episode before I read that in the book. And then I was okay. like, oh, it was actually from the book. Perfect. All right. So we got to talk about the Treaty of Saragossa. And this is a big deal, and we'll probably get into it a little bit more, but it's a big setup plot point for the whole show. And this is a 1529 treaty between Portugal and then sort of what will become Spain. It wasn't called Spain at that point, I believe. And there was a previous treaty between Portugal and Spain that divided uh, the world on in the Atlantic. And it basically gave the Portuguese... Africa and uh, the Spanish South America and and the Portuguese where the line went it cut through the front or you know part of Brazil which is why you know in Brazil they speak Portuguese and not Spanish uh, and this is being very simplified but when they were over in the other side of the globe there was a, a some islands that they both were claiming and fighting over for spice. And so then they had to hammer out another treaty, which basically took it. Basically these two lines bisect the world in half. And it says this half belongs to space, literally the entire globe. You get this half of the globe. We get the other half. We have some rules around the treaty. It's a little bit soft. We can sort of, you know, play with it, but mm -hmm. they literally divided the world in half to, to plunder for, Lovely. Uh, for themselves. So that is the Treaty of Saragossa. We have a Wikipedia article posted on the on the show guide for patrons. Otherwise, you can just go to Wiki and, and Google for it. That yeah, said, that does seem quite consequential to this show. Hugely, um, hugely. It's funny you don't you don't think it's a about real thing because look, we live in America. We were raised on American history. We have an America centric view of history, probably. And you know, you think about the Spanish and the English going at it. You know, trying to trying to divvy up America and the French and whatnot. And that's what we learned about mostly in grade school is the divi division of the Americas by Europe. And you don't think a lot about what happened to the rest of the world until later on. Right. Exactly. And so this is honestly the first time I'm hearing about this really big consequential agreement that affected colonization in the rest of the world. Yeah. And and where things went really badly wrong very early on, and I think we're still unpacking a lot of the trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In many places, and, and you know, world. you talk about that in in American grade school, but mm -hmm. generally, you focus on after we sorted our stuff out in America right. after like the eighteen hundreds. You learn a lot about you know the African colonization and things like that, but uh, and you know uh, India and all that. Yeah, but well, yeah, and before long before India was the the Portuguese in Africa. That, that's what I mean, though. You know, it's like, it's like there's so many things that you just don't really learn yeah. enough about in exactly. American education. Exactly, and I don't think we ever learned about the black ship, which no. uh, was a type of ocean going vessel called a carrack, a, a carrack, 
that was like a three or four masted ship, but it was painted with black pitch. And mm-hmm. so it was referred to by people in Japan. They would say, oh, there's that black ship that's you know doing all the trade and, and what have you. So they just called it the black ship. And then that sort of colloquially became the name. And then this ship uh, would bring guns and ammunition and other sort of trade technologies and then bring back spice and silk and, and a lot of other goods that were valuable in Europe. And again, the Portuguese had a lock on the Japans uh, and... No other, and both by, I believe, Japanese um, dictates saying like, you know, foreigners, you know, you're not, you know, you're not allowed here. Only the Portuguese are allowed here. And then we're only going to trade with the Portuguese. And then the Portuguese were like, nobody else can come in. And just like we saw with, with Blackthorn, they were like, how did you get this rudder? How did you figure out your way through Magellan's passage? All of these details. Mm. This was because Portugal was very jealously guarding uh, this location. And it wasn't just trade with Japan, but it was also with China and then Macau. And right. there's, a, there's right. a whole thing about the Portuguese in Macau that I think we need some more research on. I was trying to do a little bit of research before we got on, but there's a lot that we got to yeah, do. Yeah, it looks pretty complex. Yeah. So I'd love to learn more about the Macau. So if anybody's got a line on that kind of stuff or wants to go uh, for that, please, you know, read some articles or what have you and then send us in a, a voicemail or email, something like that. Cool. Yeah. The other thing that we should mention is the Edo versus the Sengoku periods. These are different eras in Japanese history. It's like saying, uh, you know, the, the old, you know, the, uh, I'm trying to find an American analogy of like, say in the West, you know, like before the railroad and then Mm -hmm. after the railroad kind of thing It was, you know, it's not a technology based line for the, for the Edo, the Edo versus the Sengoku but it's a there different eras where different things were were um, uh, there were different sensibilities about it and, and different developments. One of the things that was very uh, interesting that I picked up from the official podcast was that the act of seppuku was very different in the different eras. During Sengoku, mm. it was a very private affair; it was a very subdued affair, which is where I see when we have it here, they close the shoji mats, right, uh, the right. blinds and it's private. Whereas in the Edo period, apparently it was much more of a public spectacle and a, and a big remonstration of I'm doing this, you know, in, in a big loud way, as opposed to a more private, um, uh, subdued way. So that's one of the differences, but I think it's something that, again, I think we need to do some more reading and, and research about this. So one other thing, this is a, a strange uh, crossover to Anthony's Bukaloo podcast. I was just listening to uh, a previous episode the other day with uh, one of his medieval experts. They were talking about when a knight would go out onto the battlefield on a horse with a big, you know, with big shiny armor. What that actually did was signal that, hey, that dude's got money and he is worth something. So rather than killing him on the battlefield, let's Mm. capture him and ransom him. He's Mm. worth something to us. Whereas if you're a feudal Lord and you're about to be taken, you might uh, take your own life uh, or, you know, uh, in other cases. So you're basically rendering yourself useless as a hostage as right, a, as right. a male, uh, uh, combatant hostage, you know, as opposed to other, other potential hostages. So, and, and hostage taking was like a really big part of medieval society. <laughs> like it was a big deal where you, yeah. Oh, I'm going to send my son. Industry. Hmm? It, <laughs> it was, was an industry. It, was, it was, 
and you know, my, you know, your, your kids go live with somebody else to maintain the peace. You, you know, do all these intermarriages and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know that this is a direct thing, but I just thought it was an, it, it, it came to my mind that, oh, and, and I know there's a lot more cultural connotations around this, but I just thought in this one way that was kind of interesting that if you remove yourself from the equation, there is no equation. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is interesting. So you had uh, picked up on something that was pretty interesting that has to do with the fundamental basis of the Japanese economy at the, this sort of feudal time. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting definition that they gave in the book and for some reason omitted from the show, maybe because it was too explainy. But the koku, which they they mention at some point, I think Yabu says to uh, Omi, like, oh, I'm I'm increasing your koku. Right. Mm -hmm. And. The definition in the book verbatim is a koku of rice was a measure that approximated the amount of rice it took to keep one family alive for one year, about five bushels, perhaps 350 pounds of rice. All income in the realm was measured by koku and all taxes. There you go. Right. So basic basic unit of, of measurement of metrics of um, tied to uh, survival, literally. Yep. Yep. It's, but that's super interesting, right? Instead of a coin, it's, it's, what do you need to survive? Right. Right. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Production. Let's talk yes. about it. Let's talk about it. Um, what do you think of how they're handling language in this production so far? That's a good question, especially with the Portuguese thing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Yes. I mean, let's talk about it. It's an interesting choice to have such a fundamental conflict be between the English and the Portuguese and then have all Portuguese be English. <laughs> a lot of people were confused. They were like, wait, what? Wait, this yeah, is they, Portuguese? they keep referencing them speaking Portuguese, but I haven't mm -hmm. heard anything but English and Japanese. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious answer of why they did this would be. I think it's probably easier to find people who are bilingual in Japanese and English than in Japanese and Portuguese mm -hmm. or Japanese, Portuguese and English. Right. Mm -hmm. Having to handle three languages on set might have been a little too tough. But Jarvis doesn't speak Japanese. The guy who's playing uh, Blackthorn. Yeah, but he's going to have to. No, he's learning. Jap that's the beautiful thing. That's a, a, a beautiful thing. That's an interesting thing. I picked this up on the second episode of the official podcast. He's learning Japanese in a way that's not dissimilar to the way that Blackthorn would have been learning Japanese. Right. So he's on sure, set sure. with Japanese actors who don't speak English. And he's a English speaking actor who's you know, having to act in a moat, not knowing, you know, in English while somebody else is being translated to and then having to react to his acting mm -hmm. through translation. So I guess what I would say with that is, sure, he'd have to learn like Blackthorn, but presumably to get this story done in 10 episodes, we're going to start jumping time at some point. And Blackthorn's going to be better at speaking Japanese than Jarvis. Right, right, right. I think I think that's if I remember the miniseries, I think that's right because and we're already seeing him picking up a number of words and spontaneously sure. speaking. You know, learning how to say I am a dog and <laughs> all that. All, all that. that. So, I thought you know, there's an, there's the, the the world of dubs, you know, and having um 
mouth movements and speaking in different, you know, not matching. For some people, that just weirds them out. They can't handle it. Other people enjoy it. Some people like subtitles. Some people don't. And I, I think given the already complex nature of this, I can understand why FX didn't do a Portuguese aspect mm -hmm. to this. Also, have you looked into Portuguese? It's a really hard language. No, I have not. If you, so I, when I used to do the, the chorus stuff, uh -huh. um, I used to sing in high school and college. And one time I had to do a Portuguese song. None of the words sound like they look on the paper. Okay. <laughs> it's incredibly complicated if you're an English speaker. Okay. And so I think that might be part of it. Again, it's just like, all right, Japanese is already a really nuanced language. English has no rules. It's very obnoxious. Right. And really are we really going to make rules. people learn all, you know what I mean? Like three, I think, I think it's just too much to juggle with all these things going around at the same time. I wouldn't have minded if they had Portuguese in here. I thought, right. I think that would have been cool, but it's something that I'm totally willing to overlook for the sake of, we wanted these people to be able to act more freely. So I think there's impact on, on casting. I think there's impact on audience viewership. There's the show Pachinko, mm -hmm. which I've talked about a number of times. That's trilingual. That is English, uh, Korean and Japanese. And if they're speaking in English, they have, um, ja or they would do well as an English speaker. If I said it to English, then if they were speaking Korean, it would be in English subtitles of one color. But then if they switched to Japanese, then they would switch the color of the subtitles to the other, to another color. Mm -hmm. Also in English. Really interesting way. And I love the fact that they went trilingual. But it took a lot of work from me to pay attention and understand what was going on. And I think right. if we got into dubbing or extra, extra subtitles, I think it would impact viewership. And so I can yeah. understand from that studio standpoint, why they went one way. I think it's fine. I'm yeah. really glad that they didn't have everyone speak English all the time. I think that yes. would have taken away from it. Exactly. Um, because, because partially because this is supposed to be a character feeling really disoriented in this world. Correct. And it'd be really weird for John Blackthorne to be there. Like, I can't understand what you're saying. And they're, <laughs> and they're all speaking in English and, yeah, it'd be really weird. It'd be weird. In the original 1980 miniseries, there was no subtitling. So if mm. two characters, two Japanese characters were on screen talking, they did not translate it. And you had to do the work to watch their actions to understand or mm. uh, what, what was that character coming from or what did the other character go to to understand that conversation. I don't like that. It was really, it's really innovative for 1980. That's, I don't like it. That's very cool. And it was intentionally done to create a, a set of dis sense of disorientation from Blackthorn's point of view. I'm sure that would have worked. I, I guess here's the other thing. If we're supposed to view this whole series through Blackthorn's eyes. Which we're not now in this series. In this series, we're not. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think in general, we're discovering the world in a similar pace to Blackthorn. Mm -hmm. And Blackthorn speaks Portuguese. Fine. Have it be a language that we as the viewer understand. Right, right. I think especially it would be if this is for an American audience, this show. I could see a, a cool aspect is if there was an, a Portuguese audio track that you could turn on. Like if you're really diehard into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have the budget for that. They spent it too much on the on the hairdos. Well, you know what they spent it on was the scripts. <laughs> One of the places they spent their budget on. This is another uh, detail from the official podcast. They wrote the writer's room was in English. So they mm -hmm. wrote all the scripts in English. They then sent it off for 
translation into Japanese in sort of a, a modern concurrent uh, form mm-hmm. of Japanese. They then took the Japanese translation and sent it to a second Japanese translator to have it translated back for historicity. Mm. So basically taking, wow. uh, you know, sending it back to the Shakespearean playwright right, person right. to translate it into formal uh, Sengoku uh, era courtly Japanese. So you're telling me that Yurinaga is really using a lot of a lot of yes. doff. Yes, and that and thous and theys yeah, and, yeah. and wherefore art, art thous. Mm. And then when they brought it back for the subtitling, they didn't go to the English scripts. They took the formalized Japanese and retranslated it back to English. Wow. So that's one, two, three, like three or four different hops. Yikes. That's a lot of budget. I don't envy that person who had to do that. I don't envy that. The script wrangler had their, their work cut out for them. So. I think it's pretty exceptional. I think it's really amazing that they that they went to that length and they cared that much and they spent the budget on doing that. When we are, you know, in a lot of uh, aspects of our, our modern entertainment industry, you know, the corporations are just trying to f- shove out fast CGI, you know, based IP green screen stuff where this is really sweating the details. Yeah. All right, um, we have to talk about the visual editing now. Have you been am I in your head at all on the on the visual stuff these days? Sometimes uh, there's there's a couple things that I'm like, why are we going to black so often and like staying there for longer than I think is? Oh, that's normal. interesting. I didn't notice the the black transitions. I'll have to. Do we're that. we're staying black for like a second or two. Wow, which is is like an eternity of time in staying black in between scenes that i've not noticed that is saying something that it's doing what they intended to do but i'm getting it's a palette refresher it's a uh oh for me i'm like what are we what doing? is this <laughs> what's <laughs> what going doing? on did, did my did my hulu glitch yeah exactly <laughs> maybe it did maybe maybe somebody's gonna write in it's not happening john yeah it's that's just yeah. you I'm, I'm gonna have to pay attention to that now because otherwise <laughs> this show is wild it's wild on the editing, man. This there are in one little scene there might be five or six cuts, where normally you'd get two or three. They're they're doing three to four times the amount of of work here, and then you'll get these really interesting shots where the character is all the way left on this, uh, you know, on the left side of the frame, but then the right side of the frame is all just negative empty space. But then they'll come back for like a traditional wide and then they'll come in on a hyper close up and then they'll do another offset thing and then they'll reverse the camera and the angle and then they'll go out to a wide again. And they're mm. just this camera is moving constantly and the amount of editing that had to be done on this, it's blowing my mind. It's absolutely over the top. Yeah, I I will say it does seem like everything's moving a lot. Sometimes I'm a little disoriented, but I think that's on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I will, I will say that after watching it twice, uh, each episode all the way through twice, the second viewing made a lot. And then even today I was jumping in and, and checking a few things. I was like, Oh, okay. It's all making sense now. Cause I think we're, we're just in that uptake of, of one mm-hmm. of new world. So yeah, I felt really disoriented on episode one. And again, I watched episode one after reading about a hundred pages of the book. Right. So I'm like, Oh, uh, what's going on? I, I still feel disoriented here. <laughs> right. Um, it was more in the politics that I felt disoriented because that's not introduced until a little later in the book. But sure. Um, 
once we were into the politics, I was like, oh, I'm into this. This is my jam this here. Is your jam. <laughs> this is my jam. <laughs> jams. What do you think of the VFX so far? I think overall good. There was a point where um, Rodriguez says, well, take a look at the city and you'll be impressed. Mm-hmm. And then they show the city and I'm like, that doesn't look that good. But <laughs> it's just sort of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, you didn't do a great job making me go wow about the city. Right. Um, I think if they come don't... up higher and looking down more, we would have gotten more impressed. Because it's not like just... they have skyscrapers. It's not a New York. It's not a Manhattan skyline. It was just really weird for me that they left that line in when mm-hmm. they didn't have a shot that was that breathtaking. Like right. they could have very easily just been like, okay, that ended in an unsettling feud, right? Like right. they didn't have to have that line. It was very odd to leave that in, but I don't know. That minor critique. Yeah, I think there was some stuff like on the cliff and and a few, and some stuff on the on the ship with Rodriguez and and. Uh, uh, Blackthorn or in the storm, like when the PAs are throwing buckets of water through the, <laughs> the portholes and things, <laughs> you know, but there's nothing, it's all kind of, it's fine. It's fine. And then there's some other stuff that's, it's perfectly good. Like when we fly over the castle or fly over the city, there's some, some pretty nice shots. So I, I don't, uh, there's nothing that's, that that's taking me out of it. Right. Um, one little interesting thing I did see, something that I think is a one-to-one shot from the miniseries. There was a scene where they're folding up some bedding of um, mm-hmm. Ishido's bedding in the morning when he's going through his morning ritual. And the way they fold the the bedding, I think is exactly from mm. the, the miniseries. Uh, and maybe it's because both of them are doing it yeah. the way yeah. it would be, would have been done. And so yeah, maybe it's really not authentic. copying the shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So cool. You want to talk about some violence? <laughs> This is a Pukila plus five easily. <laughs> easily. I said plus 10 at one point. Yeah. I think I like I mean, the boiling hunter. is really the worst part, right? I mean. That is. Yeah, that was the worst You know, part. there's a lot of like the baby is worse implied violence, but that's implied. The The worst explicit violence is the boiling. Yes. But even then, they don't show that much of it we get more screams than we do actual they show enough of it and i don't think yes, that was necessary enough. i'm gonna i'm gonna critique them on this i thought that okay. that was edgelord i thought that that was just okay. too much in the book they do it with like people are hearing the screams and like mm-hmm. there's uh a um what do they call them a courtesan who's mm-hmm. who's meant to be with one of the men and he and She's like, I can't, I can't do this here. You know what I mean? Like we're being shown how people are disturbed rather than needing to be shown the boiling face of a man. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that's more effective and less gratuitous. Like, okay. You just didn't, that didn't do anything for me except if we go, uck. So they, they, yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting if they hadn't shown anything from the pot and we just heard the screams. We saw him go into it. And then we heard the screams and we just had to leave it to our imagination. I think, I think that that's honest. Most of the time we learn this in Jaws, right? The monster is scarier if you don't see right. it. Exactly. You're or not going to be able with to. The, the Bix torture. Right. You're never going to be able to make something scarier than the human mind can imagine. Exactly. So I'm looking at this really awesome graphic, which we have not yet rolled out that Aaron K put together for the Pukila scale. Uh, did you see this? Did you I have that? seen this. It's lovely. Right. So rings of power is zero. Foundation is a plus one. Wheel of time would be a plus two. Marvel echo is a plus three. House of the dragon plus four. 
Do you think that this is more or less violent than House of the Dragon? I think more. Really? I think more. I think more. I don't think House I, of I the totally Dragon disagree. has ever gotten to this level. Wow. Of okay. this first episode. The second episode, right. I would say, yeah, no, House of the Dragon's more violent. This episode, put, first episode pushed it over. Because the boys were putting it plus five. Yeah, I think it's similar to the boys. Wow. I don't think, I don't see that at because all. The, Am I, I just desensitized? Am I just a monster? The boys are cartoon <laughs> violence. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but it's so graphic. Some, sure, but like. It feels like a comic book, The Boys. Like there, like there's just something about it where, like, also the violence is like sometimes intended to be funny. Like, you know, the <laughs> opening of the last season, right? This was not intended to be funny. No, this nobody's is laughing at, sure, no. at the boiling man. No, and no. it's there's no level of absurdity to it. It's all horrific and violent, and I think that tonally. This has to be considered more violent than the boys. Okay, let's well let's let's finish cataloging all of the 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 violent scenes. So there's the first beheading, which we don't see Omi actually a, a full strike. We just see the head. Yeah, we see yeah. the tip of the sword and the head just lops off. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. That's that's on par with the boys. You know, random violence right happening happening out of nowhere. And then we have the boiling. Okay, granted that's that's weird and creepy, and it was what it was. We had the execution that happens in the prison, but the interesting thing is, is that the one of the prison wall, the you know the wood pillars, actually blocks the killing blow. So we see the mm-hmm. body and the strike, but the strike is blocked by a piece of wood, and then we see the head fall off, and it's a very quick scene. Right, right. Then we have the the baby. But we don't see anything happen. We just see the shoji mats close, right? The doors close. Mm-hmm. But it's implied, like there's two scenes of implication of, you know, that this is going to happen. And then we have the two fight scenes, the the bandit fight scene. And then we have the maid uh, who's who's slicing and dicing. See, like the maid feels more like the boys to me. Okay. Right? Yeah. There's I, just I, blood I, splattering everywhere. Yeah. There's, there's a level of like absurdity to it almost because it's so... Mm-hmm quick and and everyone's just like taken off guard right but the the boiling again i'm just gonna say it the boiling scene you can say it's quick but it exists it exists in the show and therefore it has to be factored into the grade i i i can't i'm i'm coming in about uh, maybe a three i'm coming in at like a plus three that's fine to be wrong. I look I, I, in in favor of my case. My wife decided to stop watching it at the boiling scene. Sure, I she can said, understand. I'm that. done. I'm yeah, done. Yeah, I get that. It's too much for me, and so I'm using that as further evidence that this is an extremely violent show because she okay. she's watched a lot of violent stuff. It's not like okay. she shies away from that. She she even even in samurai violence she. She played the whole video game Ghost of Tsushima, and that gets really violent. Sure, um, and you guys, but I mean, you guys, part of your relationship was bonded over Last of Us, right? And that's a yeah, violent game. yeah, absolutely. But there's something about this; it, it was just so graphic and like unne- I thought so it was strange. just unnecessary. That scene, okay, really. I, 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 I'm still gonna. That's my, that's my low point for the whole right. couple right. episodes. So we're gonna see where we go from here. Uh, yeah, whether we have yeah. those weird torture scenes. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah. I get why that's off-putting, and then I, for me, I just I didn't see nothing else in the rest of the episode or in the second episode ever came near that again. So, especially like it's a really weird thing, and and uh, look, this is something from the book. It's not like they made it up. Like um, Yabu, sorry, they changed his name in this. He's just Yabu in the book. He's Yabu okay. what in this? 
Let me Looking check guy. before I speak out of turn. Yabushige? K- uh, Kashigi y- Yabushige? Yeah, Yabushige. Yeah. yeah. So he's just he's just Lord Yabu in the book. I don't know if they extend it later, but... Yabushige-sama? Um, Yabushige. He is a violent guy, right? And he has yes. this really yes. sadistic and sociopathic tendency here. Right. Uh, and th- and that is a thing in the book, right? That he's obsessed with this moment of death that he has to, you know, torture people, see what they are going to do. Um, but again, like, you can show me that without ever having me see anyone suffer. Mm-hmm. You can show me that in many ways. But again, I don't I don't want to harp on this minor criticism because it is really a minor <laughs> criticism. And I really love the first two episodes. So let's move on from it. All right. Fair enough. You want to talk about appropriation? <laughs> more fun subject. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, Jesus Christ is a big part of this show, so I can see <laughs> it Jesus Christ. It's true. <laughs> uh, uh, um, how do you feel? Well, you're reading the book, right? So you're you're starting to get into it. But how do you feel? Do you feel like, as you pointed out in our preview, uh, this was a Australian naturalized American dude, man, white, you know, we mm-hmm. assume heterosexual male, uh, who wrote a book about Asia in 1975. And how do you feel? So obviously FX is, is doing a, a different kind of storytelling. Do you feel like this is good storytelling? I think so. I think so. And it looks like they did a lot of work to, and I'm fairly certain that James Clavell was known for doing a, tem- a tremendous amount of research as well. So I don't uh-huh. want to discount him. And right. though he is a white man, though he is a Western white man, I think he did do a lot of the homework to make mm-hmm. sure that he was portraying things accurately. I think the book actually has more of a negative connotation with appropriation, largely because it was part of the Japan obsession that we found right. a lot of white people right. having in the 80s and 90s, right? And, and well, we continuing. Were, we were coming out of, um, uh, you know, we had Bruce Lee as a cultural icon oh, and, Bruce and Lee, fascination with uh, things. And, you know, food and fashion and all kinds of things. But then, you know, the Japanese. I blame Ralph Macchio. With- <laughs> I blame and, him. Uh, what was uh, Mr. Miyagi's? What was the name of the actor? Pat Mr. Miyagi. Morita. Yes. Pat Morita. That's right. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Hey, look at you. I know. Maybe I know. we'll give you some uh, honorary uh, Gen X points there. You beat me on. <laughs> I love Karate Kid. That was like one of my childhood right. movies. I, I've watched all of Cobra Kai. I'm, I'm in oh, on I'm on so Karate off on Cobra Kai. I've not oh, watched it's a so single good. one. Yeah. Oh, it's so it. good. You I know. Watch it. I know. It's all 80s nostalgia. That's all okay. it is. Ugh. Yeah, um, I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> speaking of appropriation of Japanese yes. culture. Um, anyway, uh, I think that the show, in addition to being based on source material that was largely well-researched, has done a lot of work to contextualize mm-hmm. it using, you know, they have a... a um, uh, Rachel Kondo is one of the creators, and she's of Japanese descent. And uh, I think that's good that you have one of the creators of Japanese consent. I uh, can consent, can descent, descent. Uh-huh. I can't speak tonight. Um, and also, they just hired a lot of, you know, they did the work of retranslating back into ancient Japanese, and they right. uh, made sure that the movements were correct, and they made sure that the folding is correct, and the costumes and the setting, and and I think that they 
probably did even more work, largely because they had more people, right? When an author is researching a book, they might have a couple of research assistants, but largely it's on them to make sure everything's right. This is a team effort, so it's just easier to make sure that we're bringing in the right people to make sure that this is done correctly. Right. So I, I think that the show is doing an even better job than the book in making sure it's historically accurate and respectful. And I like that they filmed it in Japan, right? right. I mean, I don't know where the miniseries was filmed back in the 80s. In Japan. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm sure that many series have been filmed elsewhere, right? I mean, but even like you look at uh, True Detective Night Country was just filmed in Iceland instead mm-hmm. of Alaska. So you never know. Right. And and that was for production reasons, because Alaska couldn't uh, support the crew that they need, you know, in, in terms right, of the infrastructure right, right. that they needed. So where right. Iceland already had a, a thriving film industry. Right. Um, we've got a couple of users on our, our Discord uh, who do live in Japan, and I've, I've sort of been poking at them to see if I, we can get some uh, thoughts from them. Hopefully we'll get some more. I see Abby just posted a, a little bit ago. Uh, she said, I'll look out for what people are saying about it. So far, they're praising the production quality and that there isn't weird Japanese being spoken. Uh, she says, um, some other folks here have, have a bee in their bonnet about comparing this show to Game of Thrones. This isn't fantasy. I read on a Japanese entertainment site that if you need to compare it to something, it's more like Succession or Mm. House of Cards, only medieval. You know, Abby actually addressed the appropriation thing earlier on. I can copy paste it into our outline right here. Sure. If you want to, you're you're more. I'll just read it. (laughs) You're you're the guy who can pull up a a sound clip and get it loaded (laughs) without me even having an idea that you're, (laughs) you're, you're pulling some of that stuff. Here we go. Just a thought, Abby says. On the is it authentic discourse and the stereotype concerns, this is a work of fiction. It's not meant to depict history exactly as a TV show. You can see these types of shows slash movies in Japan all year round. Yes, this seems to have a much larger budget than some of the local stuff. Are those shows also stereotypical? Sure. Romanticizing the period? Sure. Is it okay if they're made locally? This is also shot here with a roster of very well-known and liked acting talent. Looks good, looks and sounds good so far. And again, it's TV entertainment. But of course, unlike the aforementioned local fare, is streamed worldwide. So the experts on Japan can now input their takes and concerns. <laughs> Abby's Aaron's. going for him. Look, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't want to. I know Abby. Abby had a sick burn, but I, I also. I don't want to discount the appropriation discussion sure. because I do think that that's an important discussion to have. And yeah. I, it, I'm just saying I from an outsider's perspective and I and maybe somebody inside Japanese culture will have a different take and I hope they'll write in and share with us. But from an outsider's perspective, it does look like the show is doing the work to make sure it's done right. Yeah. And I this whole question, Abby's uh, post had me start thinking uh, about this as well. What happens when a German production does a television series or movie about the American old West and gunslingers. Mm-hmm. What happens when an English production does something about the Australian outback or, you know, what have you, it, it, it happens all the time. And we ourselves in America, we fetishize the old West Yep. and the cowboy aesthetic and, and the gunslinger. When Mm. I was in Argentina, I was blown away by the amount of sort of gaucho cowboy stuff that they had everywhere. They were fetishizing themselves and turning it into tourist claptrap and not even necessary for tourists, but also just for themselves. Except we still have Pinkertons. 
well, well, they they don't always have the same villains in other cultures. Okay. <laughs> Do you know that joke? The no, the no. Pinkertons. You, you're that, saying you know, one of your weird things again. <laughs> it's a re, it's a real security force. Yes, I know it's like a real elite, security, yeah. and it still exists and, as a private security firm. Now. And they were the big villain in Red Dead Redemption, the series, the okay. game series, yeah, which you is got a Western me game series. Okay. Uh, there was a whole thing last year that somebody accidentally got a shipment of magic cards early before the set released. Okay. And then Wizards of the Coast actually sent Pinkertons to their house. <laughs> Break it and take it back. <laughs> this is a this? real thing that happened. Yeah, right. Uh, so I always think of them as the, the still around modern day villains. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But anyway, I think that the point is is that that if FX is doing the work, I mean, um, Sonata, who plays Tornaga, he's a producer on this show. He's mm-hmm. going around the set and doing all kinds of things and making sure things. They're hiring movement coaches and dialogue coaches and and. It's Japanese crews and Japanese actors and and the whole script thing, like sending it, start in English, send it to Japanese and then mm-hmm. to colloquial Japanese uh, and then back again. I don't think there's any there's He's any 63. Here. He looks great. Amazing. My God. Yeah. We need to get on his workout regimen. <laughs> so I, I feel like. And and I think when we read, you know, when you're reading the book, I'm watching the 80s um, uh, miniseries, the way that they're recentering the story. And then this, I think, segues a little bit into the use of the flashback. I thought that that was a great way of taking the story. So we're not just with Blackthorn and from this West to East perspective, but that we're actually moving into a, a, a full 360 view of the right. culture and the story here. So we're recentering. Um, in a central neutral point, as opposed to any one person's perspective. I and agree so with that. By, by bringing us into the flashback, they're giving a setup and context and why we should care about why Toronaga needs to win this thing. Um, ultimately, or does he? Right. Or you does know? he? Question. You know, I, I think Mariko, and I think that this is something that makes me want to follow her story the most. Mariko is kind of the culmination of this because she's mm-hmm. a Japanese woman. Mariko or Marika? Of, yeah, anyway, yeah. Mariko? Mariko? I'm not I, sure. I'm going to, you know what? If somebody can write in if they want to correct me. <laughs> I'm ta- You know which character I'm talking about. Yes, yes. Uh, Mariko, Mariko. I think it's Mariko. Okay, but uh, I th- I think I think Mariko. I think you're going with the with the Spanish do the second to last syllable thing, <laughs> right? Where we're but, we, we, but yes, we're the, doing Japanese pronunciation. I'm pretty, sure you're, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to emphasize the first syllable. Okay, in Japanese, I Mariko. could be wrong. Mariko. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Mariko. Now you make me not want to say it, uh, but um, <laughs> I think she's kind of the culmination of this because she's a, a Japanese woman who is loyal to her, you know, her liege lord. Right. She's also a Catholic. Yep. She's also yep. suspicious of the Portuguese. Yep. She's also suspicious of the English. Yep. She she also is grieving and has this very weird relationship with living versus death. And Which she we're going to learn more about, so, I assume. Yeah. And it, it just feels so, like, fleshed out. You know, mm. it just feels like she has complex motivations. I think that's the concern when we talk about appropriation and oversimplification of other cultures is that you'll turn them into a straight good guy or a straight bad guy. Right. Right. And it's a, here, it's a, there's no nuance. Right. And here, this is a nuanced character who has competing motivations. And I don't know what the hell she's going to do next in the best way because mm-hmm. she Surprise has so many different pressures on her. Right. And so that's why I think she's kind of the culmination of this. Let's make nuanced characters 
and divorce them from the tropes that you might be expecting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to spend a little time talking about uh, our three principles in a little bit. So I think that's a, a, a great um, uh, uh, starter point for when we get to uh, Mariko uh, in a little bit. Opening credits sequence. What did you think? Episode two. They only they didn't have it in yeah, episode yeah. one. It was yeah. only in episode two. I thought it was cool. I I mean, I, I was nice that they kind of showed us what they were doing by the end of the episode already mm -hmm. with the whole uh, the garden. With, right, with, right, uh, yeah. I love that the, the episode two ended with a high shot of uh, yep. a top-down shot of, of that same. Yeah, that was very cool. He's like, sorry, little Lord, about your garden, but I'm about <laughs> to mess it up. <laughs> I um, was okay with it. I thought it was okay. I didn't like, think it was great. It's It's definitely, they're definitely putting it into the realm of Game of Thrones, Westworld, you know, uh, I'm trying to think there's a, a couple more, The Crown, you know, all, all of that stuff. But I, I didn't feel it was as, it didn't wow me as like a, a Game of Thrones opening does. You know, it's funny because when the House of the Dragon opening came on, people yeah, were like, what yeah. the hell is this? Yeah. They ruined their good opening. Mm. <laughs> they didn't even change the theme song and they ruined the good opening. It's such a thing now. It's a, it, it is a, it's a yeah. whole part of it. So yeah. Whereas like, actually, I liked what Rings of Power did where they would transition to a different point on the map mm -hmm. in between scenes. And Oh, right, right, right. I think that would have been really helpful in this, actually. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. And I was just remembering the Rings of Power opening, which is the sand vibe, the sand table vibrations. That was right? pretty which, cool. Which goes to the Ina stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. All right, David, let's take another break. And when we get back, we will talk about our principles and key concepts. And we're back. So, David, you've got these key concept you, concepts from the episode that you wanted to discuss. I like your comment that you put on the Google Doc, which is, as soon as this happened, I said, quote, David just wrote that down, close quote. <laughs> well, I almost wrote it down myself, and I was like, he wrote that down already. I don't need to worry about that. Everyone has three hearts. One in their mouth, uh, where we, and then during that scene, we get, uh, or during that line of dialogue, we get a scene of Mariko. Then uh, one in your chest for your friends. And then we get a scene of uh, Muraji, who is the headman of the uh, village uh, and with the pigeon. And then one that's secret that if they want to survive, that they've got to you know keep secret from themselves. And then that's when we see a, a scene of Toronaga reading the little carrier pigeon message. But I think not unlike True Detective and Rose's statement about the three types of ghosts, I think uh, this is going to be a key uh, part of the show and thinking about every character and thinking about their heart that's in their mouth, the heart that's in the chest, and then the heart that's secret. Mm. And then we can use that to understand the different motivations and the, the human hearts in conflict with themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to have a fight with three, you know, now yeah. it's a party. It's, that's right. It's the Spider-Man all pointing at each other. Exactly. Ooh, that'd be a good meme, right? Meme, right? It's all the, the human heart in conflict with itself. Yeah. And, it's uh, sure. just get Tobey Maguire and, and Tom Holland and Andrew right. Garfield and you'll be all set. I thought it was interesting. Well, I'm going to save it till we get to, to Mariko, but there's something about this that, that I think is interesting in, in that conversation. So 
but uh, obviously you you picked it up as well. So that's a, a thing we want to keep a, keep an eye on. There were two other things that I thought were interesting that were given to us by, well, all of these actually were given to us by Rodriguez, weren't they? Because he's the one that says about the the hearts, right? He does at mm. the end of the episode. Yeah. He also talks about Shukumai, uh, Shukumai, when yep. they are on the deck of the ship, and he's talking about um, uh, uh, fate versus destiny, and and about um, you know accepting your path in in life. And I tried to put the word Chukumai into uh, Google and I didn't get a lot back. Yeah, fate, um, destiny, predestination. Yeah, which makes me think of determination versus free will, which is a big conversation that we have in some of our um, in some of our genre uh, television series these and days. And was a big thing in the Reformation, was it not? Calvinism uh, and all that stuff? It must be, right? It must be. So we've been having this conversation for a while as a species. Yeah. Because all if I'm you have an all knowing, maybe, maybe the Catholics will have something to say about this. Because if you have an all knowing God who knows everything, then you're sort of predestined, which is interesting because Blackthorn, even though well, he's a Protestant, but he still believes in an all powerful God. And if you have an all powerful God, doesn't that isn't that mean your fate's already determined? Um, well, I, th- I believe the Calvinists were part of Said Protestantism no. and were determinists. I think so. There's two main schools of thought within Christianity, right? Um, with predestination, which is uh-huh. one is God is all knowing and God has everything planned. You just have the illusion of free will. The other is God knows that for good to exist, evil has to exist. And you have to have the choice to do evil for good right. to exist. Got and it. so those are the sort of the two schools of thought. I think Tolkien had a weird hybrid view uh-huh. where he said, "Your fate is predetermined." Sorry, the overall arc of the world is predetermined, but the fate of your soul is free will. Like, interesting, you can choose to be part of the good or part of the evil. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, there's a there's a moral arc to the universe, so to speak. Right, right, right. The the universe is going in a direction that I set it in, and how what what happens to you in between here and there is your choice. So, like, Gollum, like the ring was going to get destroyed. But Gollum trying to steal it for himself meant that his soul was not saved. Whereas Mm -hmm. if Gollum had tried to destroy the ring willingly, his soul might have been saved. Interesting. Right. But the ring was going to get destroyed nonetheless at some point. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the whole point in Tolkien's view. This does not matter for this show. Let's move on. No, but this is perfect lore hounds. This is <laughs> yeah, what we yeah, do, yeah, right? We, yeah. we mix our, our stews. We mix up our... We, right, we, right. We have a good time. Get a good uh, lore then, stew going. The The... Zehi mo goiz goim. Ah, boy. Now I broke my mouth. Zehi mo gozaimasen. Thank you. Gozaimasen, which is one cannot, uh, well, which is what Rodriguez says is that one cannot resist the unseen path of nature. All we can do is accept our small part. And then um, Blackthorn. Wait, 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 wait. Rep- hey, hey, hey. Oh, you know, you, do, you say this line. It's bollocks. I fought too long and too hard to get here. <laughs> Very good. That's pretty good. You're doing a good job. It's not that hard. You just make your voice gravelly, <laughs> Gruff- put on a bad British accent. Yeah. That's some that's real Blackthorn. real burn. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I think it just goes into this whole idea of, uh, and I think when we get to oh, he's it, from New Jersey, Cosmo Jarvis. Oh, I could do that accent all day. Is he from New Jersey or he's, or Jersey? I think he's from no, Jersey. he's from Ridgewood, Ridgewood, New Jersey. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> oh God, I thought he was English. 
No. He has an English father. Oh, I'm sorry. He moved to England with his parents as a baby. I'm 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 lying okay. here. Okay. So he it, it hold on. Let's let's figure this out here. Uh yeah, I think he grew up in England actually. But he yeah. was born in New Jersey and therefore he is not an authentic Brit. <laughs> That's hilarious. You can you can tag him with it for that Jersey stuff. Oh, I love it. <laughs> But I think this is going to go to when we talk about our main characters here in just a second. This is, uh, you know, we have a, a key line from each of these characters that tell us who they are. And uh, I think, you know, this this goes into this just goes into this determinism, determinism versus th- free will ar- uh, argument, which is, you know, you, you give yourself up to fate and you follow your destiny and and uh, Blackthorn is saying bollocks. I, I, I'm, I am the master of my own destiny. Destiny. He almost spits Woo. it out. He goes, he's bollocks, bollocks, bollocks. All right. Yeah, so it, I, it'd I think be that's interesting right. to, Yeah, I, and it, it'd be interesting to get some translations on that if anybody or if anybody has any ideas. We, I would love to have a little bit more of a conversation around this whole concept of of free will versus determinism and in its different forms and mm-hmm. and uh iterations you know with a with a buddhist uh, uh overlay or a christian overlay or you know what have you so yeah yeah i think it's interesting let's talk about our characters uh for our primary characters a, a, mm-hmm. a little bit toranaga toranaga sama so another interesting thing that i was learning about is the honorifics yeah, that's like Lord, right? Yeah, well, but then your honorific could be a formal or informal. Mm-hmm. It could be insulting if you leave it off, or if you use this the the super friendly one. If you yep. Yep. if you say, "Oh, John, my 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 dearest Jono, John you know, Chan, right? Hmm? That's that it was like John Chan because John, John is John. like uh, we were really close. Like I, I, this is embarrassing, but I know all this from Persona uh-huh. because they, you know, you you have to do everyday high school life too in the game, and they all okay. talk to each other with senpai or or Chan or whatever. Okay, uh, but anyway, so I had to learn all the different things so that you don't oh, wow. insult people. Um, there you go. So I knew some of them. I knew Got some it. of them, but it's funny. It's and funny then to see all that. And then depending on the era too, right? And yeah. and then what's your status? Yeah. What's your relative status to the other person? And are right. you low or high relative to them? So it, it was really right. fascinating. So, right. but anyway, Lord Toronaga, who's played by Hiroki Sanada, who is, like I mentioned already, a, uh, he's a producer on the show. And uh, again, shout out to the official podcast. He, he has some comments and they talked to him a little bit about it. But man, did this guy was born to play this part. He's this great. is an iconic role yep. for him. He's really great. Um, this character is fascinating to me, especially the beginning of episode two really made him much more fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea of you've been offered power and yet you won't take it because you know that it's brittle. Mm-hmm. You'd rather earn the power for yourself mm-hmm. than take it easily. And That's a really it. good point. I didn't think about that in that regard. You're absolutely right. It's not that he wouldn't have taken it if it were real power, but he knows that it's empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 remember, yeah, that scene where he refuses it, but then later on, um, the uh, Tycho's widow is saying, like, you know, well, when she's talking to him about the tree being propped up, right? Like, you you could be Shogun, dude. Why don't you be right. Shogun? And he's like, again, he's he's still thinking about the precariousness. If if he actually took that role, it would be his immediate downfall. 
right very quickly his enemies would coalesce um and and take him down but what i loved about that scene i i think i'm kind of kind of bringing in one of my favorite scenes right now this was one of my favorite scenes because it showed me how smart he was he didn't mm. just say they'll kill me he said they'll kill me then your son mm-hmm. he put the yeah. stakes back on him he's like all right you're right you're right yeah that's interesting so let's um let's play Narls's voicemail. Okay. Uh, one are one of two no- voicemails because I think that this voicemail. So each of these characters has a key moment in the first couple of episodes mm-hmm. where the writers explicitly tell us who this person is. Also, so I'm th- sorry. I think you mispronounced Narls. His name Narls. Narls. <laughs> Should we play Narls? Uh, that's that's an emphatic. So anyway, there you go. All right, I'm going to play Narls now. Howdy, Lorehounds. Wanted to call in to highlight one specific piece of dialogue that on first impression worried me, but by the time that episode two had ended, it had totally sold me that the writing on this show is exceptional. The scene is from episode one, when Toranaga is heading to the castle and showing off his falconry skills. The falcon flies up into the sun and comes crashing down on its unsuspecting prey. One of Toranaga's boys runs up to him in amazement, and the Lord's response is that the bird conceals herself against the sun, conserving energy, waiting for her moment. You might never know she's there. Initially, I kind of groaned at this line as I thought it was meant to be a general statement about Japan versus the West and how the West colonial mindset would work to underestimate the Japanese. And I was thinking, why would a single feudal lord be thinking in a macro scale like this? Well, it's because he was not. He was talking about his own strategy in navigating the rocky waters of Osaka Castle and the Council of Five. This is just a small example, but I'm using it to give big props to Rachel Kondo, Justin Marks, and the rest of the writing team that adapted James Clavell's book for the screen. Oh, and remember, just as Yabushiga told Blackthorn while saving him from bandits in the forest, all a lorehound wants is a good lore master. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Thanks, Gnarls. Really appreciate it. Uh, I I totally agree. That's a great line, and I didn't really catch how that applied until you pointed that out. So, thank yeah, you. I, yeah, I I wrote that down just as soon as it uh, was said as well. I caught that one uh, just as much, and it is absolutely who Toranaga is. He's he's going to wait until the time is right, and then he'll strike, and then he'll strike decisively. And he keeps people around him. You know, show me three of your friends, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think he intentionally keeps somebody like Yabushiga, Yabushiga, yeah. Yabushiga uh, around him because he knows that he will do the dirty work without even telling him. Mm. Right? He will give him plausible deniability. Right. And he's he sees him and he lets him know that he sees him, right? Oh, you right. seem to have a, a a penchant to always being in the right place at the right time. Right. Oh, oh yes, right. I do. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like, you're, you're, but he, he's, he's keeping him just in check. But yeah, that's a really good point. Yabushige is a very useful tool. Yep. And, and I, it, I think I might know too much about his motives from the book. Sure. Because he can be a POV character at times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, although, Clavel writes in a very not modern way in that way. Like he'll just jump between POVs and not tell you in the middle of right. the chapter, things like Interesting. that. Interesting. Um, but 
in general, I know more of Yabu Shiga's thoughts than I would have normally. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think that's something that's important to know about Toranaga is that he, and, and this is talked about a little bit, but it's it's not 100% clear, I think. And then when I saw Aaron Kay's diagram that we have in the, um, in the show guide, in the episode guide, um, Toranaga's born of a noble family, mm-hmm. uh, the Minowara. And yep. that noble family, amongst a couple of others, they're the only ones who can ever claim the title shogun. Everyone else who became, becomes the same functional status as the shogun in terms of like I all, all the other lords are you know in under my control, then they would be a taiko. So it's it's like having the the position, but the title is a little bit extra. I don't think that's way. right. I think yeah. I, I think the Tycho is the one who is restricted to a specific family because the Tycho is supposed to be descended from a divine bloodline, whereas the Shogun can be immortal. The Shogun is the highest status a mortal can get. So the Tycho is the godly, the holy line. But I believe Ishido cannot be cannot take the title of Shogun. He's no, he can. No, he can become he, he can be the he can be positioned, but he can't use the title. Hmm. Anyway, the 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 graphic on the on the episode guide, that's what Aaron uh, Aaron K had had put out. Um, he well, had, he came K, to the same I'm going to be fact checking you. You could be right, but um, so it's in the episode two thing. Is of peasant lineage, rules as a military dictator of Japan. So that's a taiko, and a shogun is of a specific noble lineage. Why don't we leave it open? I'll do some more research before next week. We'll get people right in. writing in. And right in, right uh, in. if I'm wrong, I hope that 50 people write in to tell me. <laughs> you're a monster, John. You're a monster. I know. You know, I didn't I didn't get much pushback for True Detective, and I was throwing out hot takes left and right on the finale. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Um, Blackthorn. Uh, Blackthorn. Uh, Send the infamy. I won't die in this wretched land. And that's his motivation. That's a chief motivation that he has, right? That's he's he's going to do what it takes to survive. Yeah, and he's he's not yeah. going to only survive. He's going to thrive. Ultimately, he knows how to thrive. But what I love about Blackthorn is he comes in really cocky, you know, mm. attitude of the colonist trying to come in. I'm smarter than these guys. I'm uh, I, you know, I, I, I he's can godless. He's yes. Right. Yeah. And and. What I love about this is it kind of flips it on its head, right? They're mm-hmm. calling him the barbarian. They're right. making him yep. say, I'm a dog. And the minute <laughs> that was a really that, funny scene. That was, that so was good. a funny scene. But the minute that Yabushige is about to kill himself with, with uh, yes. Seppuku, yeah, and then comes back up and just stands in front of Blackthorn, Blackthorn just gives it the fuck up. He just yep. lays down in front of him. He's like, "You are my lord. Uh, yep. I I need to learn from you." Basically, like, I did. I took it less as a as a lord thing. Is is like, like uh, honoring the fact that he made it back up. Like, dude. Like, I I, I don't have a way to say, dude. Uh, I have to bow, and that broski. Yeah, broski. Like, yeah. yo, that was amazing, dude. Like, you have my respect. I took it more oh, as a no. bow of respect. I thought it was respect combined with like terror at the capabilities of that these too. people. <laughs> That's a very that, actually I hadn't thought about that. The fact that he actually is seeing that that uh, Yabushige is not fucking around. Like he can fall, 
20 feet off a rope, gets him rope burn, gets him really bad rope burn by catching himself, full body weight catching himself, then falling, then rescuing, then getting washed in the ocean, accepting his his death at his own hand, you know, at his own hand, and then climb his ass back up to the top of that cliff. Cold, shivering, whatever. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought about that. The 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 amount of sheer willpower to get through that situation. Yeah, I get that now. I get that on a much deeper level now. And so I love when later you see this reflected later. It's not like this is a one time thing. It really does leave an impact on him. Uh huh. Later, one he's like basically shaking when he's talking to. I forgot who he was telling, but I think it was it was the priest. In yeah. The, um, mm-hmm. The uh, is he a pastor? I don't know his title. A priest. He's um, a priest. He is a priest of of the Protestant faith. In the um, oh no, I'm sorry. I th- I thought he was talking to the guy in the prison with him, but he was actually talking to Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's yes, talking to Rodriguez, Rodriguez yep. Yep. and he's saying, you know, I he was about to, you know, cut himself open. Yeah, like, yeah. That's that's what they do, buddy. That's you know they're choosing their time of death, and that's where that's what opens up that. That Zaymoy Gas Gas that previous top right, conversation we were having. Right. That's that that's where this line comes in. But he can't even fathom this, par- partially because he's a Christian and he believes that suicide is going to condemn your soul to hell. Mm-hmm. But partially, that's a good point. Um, which is a thing that they say several times in the book. So it's like it's a big like it's a worldview shift. Right, right, right. Um, which is funny because Rodriguez is unfazed by this because he's just so used to it by now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he actually seems to admire Yubishige for mm-hmm. for doing it. He seems he's like, well, what better than to choose the time of your death and the manner? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's interesting to hear a priest say that. Yeah, a priest but, or a, a you mean Rodriguez? Yeah, sorry, uh, Rodriguez uh, is not a priest. A Catholic. A Catholic. A Catholic. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Rodriguez is a heck of a character. He's great. I like him. I like him. <laughs> I want him to stick around. Yeah. For sure, he was played by uh, John Davies in the uh, in the eighties. Okay. okay, you know you know John Davies. No. Oh, Maybe you I you do. know him if uh, John Davies. John oh, Reese yeah. Davies. Everybody knows John. Oh, it's Gimli. Yeah. Yeah, I know who John Reese Davies is. I just don't know his name. So. Um, in the miniseries, they're they're much more buddies. He doesn't pull a pistol on him or any of that kind of stuff. And they have a uh, they 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 have a lot of fun together. Both both him and Richard <laughs> Chamberlain have a lot of fun on TV. Uh, that's on cool. TV screen with them too, with each other. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's anyway, um, my point is, I think that it really sticks with Blackthorn when he sees this happen, and then later when he's talking to Taranaga, he says. Well, what would happen if you and I were enemies? And he goes, mm. I couldn't see myself as your enemy. He goes, well, I could. So what would happen if we're enemies? <laughs> Great line. Great line. <laughs> yes. He's like, totally. you're not dodging this question, buddy. Yeah. Um, and the way he says, well, then I would commend my soul to God because surely I would not withstand an enemy like you. I think he means it there. Yep. He's absolutely. really realized that these warriors are like nothing he's ever seen and he cannot defeat them. Which goes back to the line that Rodriguez says to him, go up on deck and look out at that city and tell me what kind of man wields power in a land such as this. Well, they could have done a better job doing that, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. CGI, it's yeah. fine. I'm going to, I'm going to, 
in my head canon is he was very impressed by that city. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's true. And that and that's the point. You know, you can, we're in these small confined moments, but we don't realize how much power Toronaga or Shido or you know any of the other right. lords have. And um, I think that he's he's kind of like by the end of episode two, mm-hmm. his stance is well, if I have to not di- if my goal is to not die in this wretched land, then I have to become one with this wretched land, mm-hmm. and I have to learn the ways of these people because I cannot, you know, defeat them and I cannot rise from my ashes without really learning from these teachers. And, and that's the point is, is that, um, this isn't the end for me, right? He's not going to let any of these changes, uh, throw him off course. He has this really strong will and, and he's going to use that and use all his power to, uh, keep himself moving forward. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about uh, Mariko a little bit. And Mariko. I think her central line here is this one, I have more than one heart. She's got a lot of faces she puts on. And a lot of hearts. I think from a character standpoint, that's super illuminating, but it also is super opaque. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And if we talk about, uh, you know, that each person has three hearts, you know, one in one for your friends, uh, one for yourself and uh, or wait, what is it? No, one for the world, one for your friends and one for yourself. And, you know, does she have nine hearts or something or is this, you know, but she's there. There's a it, it's it's causing a, a an opa- a duplicity within her. There's something else going on. She's she's not a simple character right. and they're not yet ready to reveal right. that to us. But if she can live under these circumstances and be effective in all of these moments to live with a, um, a, a, a not great husband, <laughs> right? Like that yeah, guy, yeah. Um, Buntaro, is not uh, – man, I'm, I love having this uh, character guide, right? It was I just know, like, right? Um, <laughs> That, you know, Buntaro, who is jealous of the fact that not only jealous, but I think he he feels so inferior. He married up so big time that he is so that his toxicity, you know, this male toxicity is coming out in that he knows his wife is a uh, hundred times his better. Right. Well, why should she have to leave the house? Or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. now, uh, why should I think he said, why should she have to be anything outside this house? Exactly. Which exactly. is. Truly a horrible sentiment. Yeah. When his, uh, your, your Lord, your, your liege Lord is, is requesting your wife. That's a huge honor. I don't know what's yeah, that dude is, he's small. He's really small. Oh, he, I, I, when he starts to get up and then he's like, not you. (laughs) Oh man, that is truly the kick in the cojones as they're saying in, uh, uh, that's right. Where, where are your cojones? I'd like to keep them with me. I think that was one of the quips, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So those are our, our three main character, our, our three main protagonists. And I, I think they've really done a good job of, I think we're going to get more in uh, Mariko. We, we really had to get Blackthorn and Tornaga up to speed, but I think uh, we've got enough of her now that we've got yeah. a really great uh, uh, power trio going on here. Yeah. Towards the end of episode two, I thought she was really coming together as a character. And so I'm yeah. hoping that that's why I, maybe that's why I'm most intrigued by her is that I feel like I know enough about the other two for now mm-hmm. 
for the exactly. story to keep going. And then she's supposed to she's set up intentionally to have some mystery that's going to resolve over the the course of things. Yep. And at some point it's going to conjoin her her uh her process is going to mingle with the 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 plot, the the plain the yep. main plot dynamics. So let's quickly talk about uh balance of power power dynamics. Mhm. So we've got Toronaga, the re- the regents, and the Jesuits. Yep. I guess the the whole point of this Jesuit thing is that the Japanese want the Chinese products, but the Chinese hate the Japanese, so they won't sell them to the Japanese. And so the the Jesuits came in and said, "All right, we will sell you the Chinese products at a premium, mm-hmm. and then we'll bring back the Japanese riches to Portugal." And Spain, and make out on both ends of the of the equation. right, right. What is it when you when you uh, charge a fee on top of a fee, or is it usury or something like that? Usury, usury, yeah, yeah. Where you're, but but that's a is that loan? That's more about loan. Usury is is like I think it is excessive interest, basically. Okay. Usury definition: uh, lending money at unreasonably high rates of interest. Yeah. Um. But they use the term usury all the time in this, so there must be some kind of interest on this charge because otherwise they wouldn't be using that word. Well, I just think of it as of like eBay. When I sell something on eBay and then PayPal, not only does eBay charge me a fee, but then PayPal charges me a fee. You know, for the yeah. same transaction, I get two, I get two fees from the same platform for the same transaction. Well, so then let's not get started on Ticketmaster before we <laughs> no, I, I cause don't everyone's blood pressure to go up. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, so they're making out hugely here on yep. this on this thing. Yep, and they're hiding the fact that they're hiring Japanese Ronin, right? And so that that also, I wasn't aware of like the definition of a Ronin and what that's going on. So that oh, you didn't a Ronin? You're... I I did know by the end of all this. Okay, but, interesting. Um, you know, it's a Ronin... it's a lordless samurai. Yeah, right, right, and and they're kind of looked down upon, right? Because yep. mm-hmm. they are lordless. They are uh, they are out of pocket from society. They are they are um, outside of the rules and the structures of of how a samurai should operate and right. be controlled and be managed. You there is this box that you live in, and if you're outside of that, you're a danger to society. Right, and so they're not happy to learn that in this episode that they're hiring Ronan. No, especially when you learn the fact that the Jesuits think that they you know th- that they have this force that could basically when they want when they're ready to decapitate you or you and and depose you. So if if we don't like right wh- who's rising right. up in power, we have the force necessary to come in and and to make a uh to to produce, you know, to what's the word a coup d'etat. To to not even a yeah. coup d'etat. We're just going to come in and assassinate you, right? That, that's a coup. That's a coup d'etat. That's a coup. Yeah. yeah. Um so I I mean you're already seeing it happening without war, right? You have three mm-hmm. of the five council members as Christians as Catholics. Yeah. I think that they, the council lost Ishido's confidence when they used the word demand, when mm, they said, we demand that's a good point. that, that he be executed. And you can kind of see Ishido's face like twitch a little bit. He's like, <laughs> oh, you demand. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three to one. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm outnumbered right now, but uh, I'm going to remember this. And I'm outnumbered, and we're about to vote to get rid of the only other non-Christian on this council. Yes. Oh, and that's so a really good take. Yorinaga is a fucking genius to play them against mm-hmm. each other like this. Right. 
and I love that scene where Mariko, where he kind of nods at her. He says, you see it, you explain it. And she's like, and and you can see it uh, emerging out of her. She's like, oh, I see the plan. And that was such a great insight into both of those characters. It was beautiful. Absolutely. So that's that was why it was so smart for him to bring Blackthorn back into the mix because he's a Absolutely. wild card. Yep. Um. Yep. And and he didn't even know how wild of a card he was. Right. He didn't even know at the time that he was going to blow the whole exactly chimney yeah. on the on the Portuguese scheme. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But yeah, I mean, especially when you have Ono, a leper who's very quiet and rarely speaks up, suddenly going. In the name of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. you will execute him. And it's like, <laughs> which, yeah, I know. We yeah, can well, laugh anyway, about the ridiculousness yeah. of that. Yeah. But I think Ishido's just like, oh, fuck this. Like anybody cornered yeah. like that would be, would automatically have the instinct to resist. So here's an interesting take. So we have that whole scene of Ishido going through his morning daily routines and having to do the bureaucratic work of stamping the papers Mm -hmm. and he's looking at his armor and then he's looking at the Tycho's armor and he's like, God, I got to sit here and stamp papers and deal with these assholes. Um, You know, is this what Mm -hmm. rulership is? Is it really what it is? But in some ways I wonder if, and he, he, he hates Toronaga because Toronaga is highborn and he's something that he can, that Ishido can never be. Mm -hmm. But, isn't Ishido more like Toranaga than he is than the other three regents? In some and ways, so who yeah. would he rather yeah. hang out with is is uh, is Toranaga in some ways? Like that's a more fruitful and 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 enriching relationship rather than uh, Ono and Sugiyama and Kiyama, who are just well, greedy yeah. zealots. I think the Portuguese were playing them against each other. And sure. this is shaking it up. The Portuguese were basically having him three, keep an three eye on two. Right. And and so Ishido is more focused on the traditional power struggle of the noble versus the peasant, or the mm-hmm. this one guy who's who's in the past his family line ruled, uh, versus everybody else. Well, at the same time, this other takeover was happening, this hostile takeover, right? This, you know, if we're going to like corporate takeovers, this poison pill of of uh-huh. Christianity. You were drinking water when I said poison pill and you like stopped. You're like, oh, shit, am I poison? But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, this poison pill of and and look, I'm not insulting Christianity here. Do what you want. But, uh, you know, the, infecting this council and just being yeah. like, this is the thing that's going to turn things over. And so without ever firing a bullet, without ever killing a person, they can just. Well, I guess they'll kill you, <laughs> Toranaga. Yeah, they'll remove but, you. Uh, but you know afterwards. what I mean. Yeah. There's no war. There's no right. fallout conflict, and they're going to take over this council. They'll, they'll immediately have a majority on this council, an overwhelming majority, the minute the Toranaga is dead. Right. And Ishido is useful because he's a he can get stuff done, but he's got to be controlled. So the, the, the other three regions think that they can keep him boxed in. Right. Because and then I think he's three right. to one. Mm-hmm. Alone, he's absolutely stuck, and I, I think he's finally realizing that, and he's not going to let Toranaga die. Now he's going to have an uneasy alliance with him. Oh, that's super interesting. Oh boy, that's yeah. This is your jam, isn't it? This is your jam. It is. Jam. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking I about this a lot. It. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. It's interesting too to think about the fact that Christianity is very old, mm-hmm. but Christianity has gone through a lot of iterations, like. 
if you were to go down to uh, a nearby church from wherever you live in these, you know, in, in the United States from our, our vantage point, a, a Christian today would have no idea that, you know, uh, uh, Vasco Rodriguez or Del Aqua, you know, the head of the, the Jesuit mission there, that this was Christianity in this part of the world, in this era of, of time, building up the Portuguese church in this way uh, and the Roman church, you know, and the Pope as well, because I'm sure they were paying the Pope something too, that it's just wild to think about all of these different forms of Christianity and, and how different people have used this word Christian uh, for all these different motivations. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm done waxing a, a historical for a moment. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. So I think we're we're in for a treat with all the political machinations of all these people. By the way, in searching for Minowara stuff, I uh-huh. did discover that I was wrong about Tycho versus Shogun. And uh, so I'm just going to correct myself now before we get a million right in. Save your, <laughs> save your keyboard warrior energy and just know that I am wrong and that Shogun is a more desirable title than Tycho. Uh, mark more this restricted. moment. Mark this moment. Uh, <laughs> why, why? I'm, I always admit when I'm no, wrong. I, don't I, don't I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> um, but, you know, we like the feedback. So, you know, don't don't hesitate to send John a nice ma- uh, email. <laughs> Fair regardless. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> we like feedback. We like feedback. We're all about community here. You know, we talk about they, our favorite moments. They, I, I, I just mm-hmm. want to say quickly. Yes. There's a podcast I listen to that uses their website slash you're wrong. For corrections, <laughs> and you can you can type it in. Maybe we should I have like that. that. You're wrong at thelorehounds.com. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fun. That would be a fun one. Cool. Yep. All right. Uh, what do you got? Favorite moments? Um, I'm gonna go quickly because I feel like I've already pretty much talked about them. Okay. But really loved again the intro to episode two. I I really loved the point where what know, was the intro which which that, part of that the- was the cold open with um uh toronaga getting the the option to be shogun oh the flashback the flashback yeah the flashback yeah yeah yeah, yeah. really love that uh i i can't remember where episodes begin and end so i think this was an episode one but blackthorn ripping the cross from the priest yes really that was amazing. in episode one and when he was uh before yabashuge yabashuge yeah uh, early on yep because he does. He's a wild card at that point, mm-hmm. and he doesn't even know that he just saved himself by doing mm-hmm. that. Because Yabushige was go w- would have just killed him first. He was right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. but he became interesting to Yabushige, oh. and he was more interesting alive than dead because he was like, oh, "These Christians are a pain in my ass." And yeah. he says he's Christian, but I don't know. He just ripped off a cross and doesn't seem to like the Portuguese. So something's interesting about him. I want to figure him out before I kill him. You know, in the 80s miniseries, and I don't know if this is in the book, there's this whole thing with Rodriguez. They actually go over to the Erasmus as opposed to just going straight back to the um, Mm -hmm. Rodriguez's ship. And uh, Rodriguez explains to him that part of the culture is, is that you have to you have to hold your own and you have to bluster as hard and as as high as you can go. But then also kind of know when your your limits are as well, and so there's this whole thing of um, of of really standing your ground in, in certain points, and then you know puffing up your chest and really you know 
going for it and, and sort of berating a, a junior. Oh, like if you want to get past that security guard, you've really got to put on a show saying that mm -hmm. I am the Lord's vassal and I'm doing this work and blah, 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 and hope that, you know, he's not going to check on you or something like that. But you got to really do this bluster. And in that moment, when he does grab the cross, he's doing that in the right way, which mm. is I'm standing up and uh, arguing from a place that I know is right for me. I'm sort of arguing my authenticity. And if you right. don't do that, then that's sort of cowardly and you're small in that way. And so you're going to be treated that way. Right. And honestly, I, I have two things to say about that. One is it is absolutely terrifying to be captured and only have your enemies as your translator. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So that's one disadvantage. Blackthorn's already, uh, already got Blackthorn. But the other thing is that this guy, I lost it in the middle of my sentence. Oh no, I hate that. God damn <laughs> it. Come back. <laughs> you, you, you have license to call it back whenever it comes up. Oh God. Oh hate God. That. It's gone. It's gone. I'm old now. <laughs> <laughs> You've crossed the threshold. I've crossed right. the threshold. Okay, it'll come. Oh, back. oh, oh! I got it. Okay, there it is. Yay, so there's a big difference between cowardice and humility, right? Mm, yes. And I yes. think that in the beginning, Blackthorn is trying so hard to be brave that he's lacking humility. Mm -hmm. and yeah. By yeah, the end yeah, yeah, of yeah. episode two. He's not groveling. He's not showing weakness, but he's showing yeah, out of fear. He's not groveling out of fear. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, he's he's showing humility after seeing a display of power beyond his imagination. Dude, you should have a podcast. I know. I know. I've, been, <laughs> I've been talking for a while. That's a really great point because he's not showing. Yeah, he's he's not doing it out of fear, like you're going to take my life, or I'm I'm afraid of the consequences. He's, yo, what you just climbed up that cliff that that was something else. I'm giving you honor. Or when right. he's in before Toranaga, wow, you're a boss that controls. You know, well, he doesn't control Saga, but anyway, you know, you're you're that at this level, mm -hmm. and and he, everything you're the around boss's you. Boss of the guy who just climbed up mm -hmm. the cliff. Yeah. You got to be even extra. And yeah. then you've got all these samurai guys around you and everybody deferring to you in this way. Yeah, that's that's a really cool point. I like yeah. it. So give me your favorite moments before we head out. Sure. Uh, quickly, episode one, Toronaga hunting with the falcon. And that's where we got the... Uh... Oh, you know what we forgot to do? What's we that? We forgot to play Brian 8063's... Uh, oh, I thought we were going to you know. do that after this. Oh, no. Uh, we, we can. Um, I just don't. I, I just wanted to make sure we had it. Uh, yep. Yep. We, it's preloaded. Yep. So uh, Tornaga hunting with the Falcon. I really enjoyed that. Uh, the music during the Regents meeting was really good. And mm -hmm. it played. It really created the ambiance and the sense of tension. And then the political dynamics that were going on. So really great moment there. Um, when Rodriguez and Blackthorn are talking in his cabin, when they pull into o Osaka, that was great. And I love that you know, he was going to club him with the uh, mug, <laughs> but he had the pistol yeah. ready to go. <laughs> he knew what He's he like, was doing. I like you, Ingles, but I'm a Spaniard and I sail with the Portuguese. So we can be buddies. Yeah. We might, we may swap some sea shanties yeah. <laughs> and have a drink, but we're still enemies. It is a little weird to have, the por them speaking Portuguese signaled by them occasionally putting in 
the Spanish flourish uh, on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very strange. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, it, it, it all works for me. Uh, and then in episode two, the first interview between Blackthorn and Toronaga, obviously that was fire. And then I thought the fight scene with the maid was badass. Yeah, that was cool. That was really that was cool. cool. There was one moment where she's hiding behind a doorway and a dude's coming in with his yep. sword out and she tings his sword up out of the way so that she can get a strike in. Mm-hmm. Right. She just deflects his, his sword. It was like, oh man, this is, this is so good. This is just. Do you think the, she lived at the end for them to interrogate her? No, no, she's dead. She's okay, she's out. full dead. We're, yeah. we're sure. Well, right. it was interesting that Toranaga, because he struck her in exactly the right place so that it's a mortal wound, but that she wasn't going to die immediately. And I think he mm-hmm. would have pressed the uh, for a little bit more information or a little bit. He, would, he was observing when Blackthorn and he was ready for her to come at him with the knife. He yeah, had already had yeah. his guard up and he was going to do his move when Blackthorn came rushing in. Do you think he was testing if Blackthorn would sit, try to save him? Like, No, he, I don't think he, he was. was. I think he was surprised that Blackthorn showed okay. up okay. and that um, and it was really interesting because Blackthorn doesn't run away from the danger. He gets up and runs to the danger. Yeah. And that's a telling moment of the character and that he is willing. He he, within how many days that you know he's been thrown into jail and pulled out of jail and whatever mm-hmm. that he's willing to put his life on the line for Toronaga in that moment mm-hmm. when Toronaga had that situation totally controlled he was like bro I don't you're, you're, it's, it's cool yeah yep. but then he's like Toronaga's like oh okay he's like, like I survived Broski. Westworld I'm fine here. <laughs> exactly but he's like okay you you're willing to to give your life to save mine all right. Now we, you know, now there's, there's something here now. And I thought that was a really great dynamic that was going on there. So, I mean, to take a little credit away from Blackthorn, he couldn't sleep anyway because he was on the Japanese bed. <laughs> you know, he's just bored. He was like fussing with the pillow. That was perfect. <laughs> so good. Oh, boy. All right. Shall we hear from Brian 8063? We shall. We shall. All right. We shall. Here we go. John and David. I feel we're jumping in the deep end of the pool with this show. There's a lot going on visually and plot-wise. I think we really have a lot of layers going on. We have the wars of reformation among the Europeans playing out in Japan, the clash of religion with the Europeans and the Japanese with Christians, Confucianism, Buddhists, behavior based on honor, and finally greed and power relating to trade and a colonial mindset. I'm sure we will discuss these layers in greater depth, but I want to quickly mention how much change in Japan is happening in this time period. Japan is on the verge of a transformation, and it must have been very unsettling. We have Christianity on the island. We have these regional military lords using new military technology and the impact of Europeans coming into the country. And finally, peasant revolts and uprisings were actually fairly common at this time period. The Portuguese traders only came to Japan in 1543. The first Jesuit priest, Francis Xavier, came in 1549. This is not a long time, and it brought such an uh, an upheaval. You feel there's quicksand everywhere. I plan to read a little more of the history because this is what I like to do. Thanks for doing the podcast. I'm looking forward to all the coverage and feedback. Brian, eighty sixty three. Thanks, Brian. I love I love when Brian writes in or or calls in because it's it's uh it's always informative. 
I was going to say this is a perfect end cap email or you know, voicemail for for the episode. It's uh, I think he puts his finger on all of the of the right things. He messaged me earlier saying that he's got access to a bunch of historical stuff from through his professional job, mm. and so I, I feel like we're going to get some more cool insights from from Brian over the. I'm over excited. The course of this. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you, Brian. Brian. We're looking forward to it. And to everyone else and, and to our friends who listen in Japan or, or anywhere else, yeah, we, we want to hear from you. I mean, our, our podcast, yeah, we're here, but we are a community. And so we want your voice to be uh, a part of our podcasting. So, well, I think that, are we going to wrap it up? Are we done? Are we good? Let's do it. Let's just talk quickly about our Patreon benefits. Okay. Um, again, we are doing, I should, I shouldn't even say we it's, it's, uh, you should say it, David, as a royal we, but you are <laughs> spearheading. wave my hand, uh, in yeah, a sort yeah. of flappy way. You are I spearheading the effort of creating the show guide, the rudder, if you will. Yes. Um, for the show. So if you're a patron or a supercast subscriber, you can go and, uh, click on the Patreon links tab in the discord and get all the links or if you're having trouble finding them just send us an email or a message we'll help you get there it's got a character guide it's got episode guides it's got plenty of stuff in there uh, we're building of, it up as we go so you know yeah. uh, there's there's a lot there the primary use case for the character guide though is just so that you know while you're watching you can check your phone really quick and see who's who's who in a particular scene it helps. It really yeah. helps. It's helped us today not look like a couple of bumbling idiots when we're trying to remember somebody's names. So. Not always, at least. Yeah. So, uh, yes, thank you to all the new subscribers who have joined us during True Detective. Uh, we are going to have a second breakfast this month, which will be a lot of fun. I think we're going to do one more old man movie. We're, are, which one are we doing? Do we have it picked out? Have, I think it's got to be uh, we, we dropped. Is it Dragon oh, Slayer? Yeah, I think it's got to be Dragon Slayer, doesn't okay. it? I haven't done March right. programming, so yeah, we were so busy with True Detective. Yeah, so we'll get another second breakfast out. There's a backlog of 13 of them if you want to go listen to them <laughs> now. You got plenty of backlog for you. Uh, and some side chats. There will be a new one of those during March. Um, of course, you, if you're not a subscriber, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say for subscribers too, remember we have the show tracker and I just sent out a Patreon message for all the shows that are starting in March. I'm going to try and do that on a regular basis for for our subscribers again so that you can just have an, a, an awareness of like, oh, there's like, uh, I think Marilyn, she didn't realize that the Dick Durbin, Dur Dick Turpin show is about to start. So like, you know. Which, it has uh, the Great British Baking Show host, right? Well, yes, Noel Fielding. He's, he's, he's well known prior <laughs> to that. This, this I only know difficult. him from that. Sure. Yeah. Which the Mighty funny. Boosh. He's, he was on the Mighty Boosh. And oh, man. Things. So, oh, man. All right. Good stuff. Cool. Anyway, the show tracker is there as well as the the, the show guide. So nice. lots of benefit. So you'll get plenty of stuff on the Patreon, early ad free access. And uh, yeah, you're, you're always giving us a hand producing the content. Uh, we share some proceeds with co-hosts for their appearances with us. So, uh, yeah, we'll hope you consider joining us on there. If not, there's still plenty of content coming for you, both from us and our affiliates. For us, I know we, we had to move our recording, but we're doing an Earthsea episode with Marilyn shortly. Uh, more Silmarillion stories coming for Up Men. Uh, more Star Wars Film Fest coming, where we're doing A New Hope next. Uh, you just did a one-shot with Ron for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yep, and that that's should be coming out, out next week. Yep, yep. For uh, for the uh, Patreons, our patrons already have it, and it'll be out public 
on Monday. We had a lot of fun with that. We we did the whole uh, eight episodes and and uh, had a hoot. Had a hoot. Cool. Yep. Cool. I know Brandon and I are going to do a Halo episode this month for at least the game and probably the show right after that. Okay. So Very cool. we're going to have a good time with Halo this month. It's it's we're- Halo month. Halo month. We have also got, it's also Dune month. We're also got to pull some Dune coverage together because the, the movie's out. And uh, we just re-released the Properly Howard movie review episode where you and I and Alicia joined uh, Steve and Anthony on there. I always and forget I listened- the, the recordings we do. Do you ever do that? You're like, I forgot I yeah. covered this. And I was thinking today, it just occurred to me, I'm like, oh, we should put that back out. And I listened to today, man, that was a really good podcast. It was really funny. It's a, I think it's, I made one too many Wonka jokes, but sure. No, no, sure. it was all right. It was it was good. All right. So all right. I think we're going to get the band back together for that, for uh, for Dune 2 coverage. So stay tuned for that. Can Do I have to be Ringo? I don't. Who's who's <laughs> Ringo in the band? No, you all don't right. have to be. You'd be Paul. I, I could be Paul Atreides. Uh, oh, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to do my <laughs> Paul McCarty accent. Now. I don't know about that, David. Oh, there you go. Not too bad. Not was that bad. was that all right? Was that no, all right, okay. Paul McCartney? It was close. Work it. You can work it a little I'm bit. I'm from Liverpool. All right. All right. Jamie. Uh, what's that? I was thinking Jamie from uh, from Ted Lasso. Oh, no. That's that's uh, Mancurian, right? <laughs> oh, that's Mancusian, right? right? Yeah. Or Mancurian. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. We're getting in trouble now. All Let's right, wrap all it right. up. It's getting punchy. <laughs> it's getting punchy. Uh, you know, stay subscribed to Properly Howard and... Uh, Alicia's feed will shift us, but also make sure you subscribe to Rings and Rituals, the Marilyn Arpaquila and Sarah Brown joint coverage of the Rings Bower season one and all the rituals therein. I'm super excited for it. First episode's coming out March 6th. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm probably going to listen to it early because I can't wait. Because <laughs> you can. And I have that privilege. Go subscribe to the feed, please. Whatever you're doing right now, go to the show notes of the show. Scroll down the bottom, look for Rings and Rituals, click on that and subscribe now uh, so that you can start to get those. The preview episode is out. And, and we're the, on it. Huh? And we're, and on, we're it. on it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So check it out. Cool. All right. Should we give some shout outs? Do the shout outs. Discord server boosters, Opus the Machine, Gnarls, Aaron K. Tiller the Thriller, and Dork of the Ninjas. I forgot to write his name uh, in the credits, but thank you, Dork. Uh, I haven't heard it from Michael in a while. This is Michael. Let's, let's, uh... <laughs> that's, his, that's his handle. I know, his... I know, but I, I don't... It's fine when it's Dork of the Ninjas, but I feel weird just being like, hey, Dork. Hey, Dork. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, thank you. Yes, and to our top-tier subscribers, both patrons and uh, supercasters, Samarshan, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O H, Tina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Doof 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andrew B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub Zero, Aaron K, Dally V21, Gnarls, and the last shall be first, Adrian. Thank you all so very much for your continued support for not only for John and I, but for on behalf of our community. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I'm saying yes in Japanese. Yes. <laughs> hi. I, because you learned how to say hi. You know, you learned how to say exactly. yes in the show. I'm doing a bit here, David. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying hi back to you. I was saying all yes right. back Fair to enough. you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hi. Time to go. 
time to go. <laughs> Good night, everyone. We'll see you next week for more Shogun. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>